Listener Production. Hello there, it's Jan Fran. And if you want to support the briefing, the best way to do that is to follow or to subscribe to us on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast. If you are relatively new and you're enjoying the briefing, why don't you tell someone you know to also hit that subscribe button? We'd love to have them here listening to the show as well. Well, since the beginning of the year, a number of events around the country have been cancelled because of safety concerns. Now, these events are not top secret government meetings. They don't involve powerful celebrities. In fact, they take place in local libraries, of all places, where drag queens read books to children. It's an event called Drag Storytime, and it's led to protests. Yeah, that was a hundred or so protesters there shouting, leave children alone, stay away from the children at a council meeting in Melbourne a few weeks back. They're insisting that drag queens just shouldn't be around kids. That same argument is being made at similar protests around the country. And performers say that, you know, while copping hate for doing drag is not necessarily new, recently it seems to have ramped up. This year, right now, in the past two months, is the very first time I've experienced a level of online harassment and hate and protesting that I've never experienced before. A conversation with drag queen Frock Hudson coming up in just a little bit. But first, here are today's headlines. It is Friday, June 16, and I'm joined by Katrina Blowers. Hey, Jan Fran. Hi, everyone. Well, another senator has come forward to accuse David Van of inappropriate behaviour. Former Liberal Senator Amanda Stoker has said Van, quote, squeezed her bottom at a social function in 2020. She said she confronted him shortly after the incident and he'd apologised. This was one of the further allegations opposition leader Peter Dutton had referred to when he removed David Van from the Liberal Party room yesterday. I advise Senator Van... Uh, of my decision that he should no longer sit in the Liberal Party party room. At the outset, I want to make clear, uh, very clear, that I'm not making any judgment on the veracity of allegations or any individual's guilt or innocence. So yesterday, Thorpe went into further detail about what allegedly happened to her, Jan. Yeah, she did. She was really teary and, and quite emotional when she gave a speech to the Senate yesterday. Here is a little bit of what she had to say. One man followed me and cornered me in a stairwell. And most of this was witnessed by staff and fellow members of parliament. What I experienced was being followed, aggressively propositioned and inappropriately touched. To me, it was sexual assault. Now, she said that this happened around the same time as the Brittany Higgins allegations were coming out. But the reason that she didn't want to come forward then is because she didn't want to detract from Higgins' story. She said that she thought the government at the time, which was the Morrison government, had understood that she'd felt unsafe and that's why it had opted to move David Van's office. Now, David Van doesn't dispute that he did indeed move offices, but he said it was to avoid making Senator Thorpe uncomfortable and to protect himself from what he called her irrational concerns. So, He's had a very sort of strong reaction to all of this, hasn't he, Kat? Yeah, he certainly has. I mean, to the point where in Parliament, when he was denying Thorpe's allegations against him and and reading out a statement, his hands were shaking. Senator Thorpe's allegations are concocted from beginning to end. 
So Vans now called for an investigation into Thorpe's claims and urged the Senator to take the matter to police rather than speak about it under parliamentary privilege. To news of the economy. Here we go. The unemployment rate has dropped again. So it is down to 3.6% for May. This is according to the Bureau of Statistics. That means 14 million people in Australia are working. That's 1 million more people than before the start of the pandemic. That sort of does sound like a good thing. And if you were to believe the treasurer, Jim Chalmers, it is a good thing. And what makes these jobs numbers so remarkable is that with everything coming at us from around the world, we still have unemployment with a three in front of it. And that means that we go into this period of significant global economic uncertainty from a position of relative strength. Okay, Chalmers there, very upbeat. Not everyone (laughs) is as upbeat as Jim Chalmers, though. Oh, look, I think it depends where you sit. I think if you have a mortgage or any kind of loan that includes a car loan, economists are now saying that the dark side of this news is it really ratchets up the likelihood of yet another interest rate rise next month. Most economists are predicting there'll be another one, a second one after that before the Reserve Bank then takes a pause. So why does such good news, as in the unemployment rate being low, have such a big impact on what the Reserve Bank does? And it's all because high employment means wages growth will stay high. There's also about to be an increase in award wages. And both of those things signal to the Reserve that there's still enough fuel out there to pour on the inflationary fire. Mm, Yeah, to get people to curb that spending. Well, I hope we don't take a leaf from New Zealand's book because across the ditch they've entered what's called a technical recession That's when the country records two consecutive quarters of negative growth. We're not quite there yet, but we're inching closer. Well, the Australian Sport Commission has released its Transgender and Gender Diverse Athlete Guidelines. They are in line with the International Olympic Committee's guidelines, which advocate for an inclusion-first approach with exemptions then determined on a case-by-case basis. So trans women who want to compete in a high-performance women's category may be excluded on what's called reasonable and justifiable grounds. Exemptions are allowed in sport where unfair advantage or safety risks can be objectively proven. Kieran Perkins, who some people might remember as being a former Olympian, he's now the CEO of the Australian Sports Commission. He says in things like community sport, that's an area where obviously inclusion should be unquestioned and absolutely needs to be open and safe for everyone. But when you start moving into high performance sport, he says it does need a bit more of a nuanced conversation. Mm, This is a very tricky thing to get right, isn't it? And there does seem to be a lot of inconsistencies. Yeah, because sports, I mean, if you take world athletics, for example, or world swimming or world rugby, they've just essentially just ignored the IOC guidelines and instead they've got a blanket ban on trans women who have gone through male puberty. In the case of basketball, for example, Basketball Australia, they recently ruled that female athletes like Lexi Rogers, for example, were ineligible and they did that by appointing an expert panel to determine whether a transgender woman could compete in the sports semi-professional league, right? So everyone is sort of kind of doing their own thing and deciding Mm. how to do things in their own way. 
And I mean, even the law, there is a law, by the way, the Sex Discrimination Act, which is, you know, makes it unlawful to discriminate against someone on the basis of sex or gender identity. But then, of course, there are exemptions to that act where unfair advantage or safety risks can be proven um, in the case of sport, for example. So a lot of, I guess, murkiness, inconsistency, not a lot of clarity. And even when clarity comes, it's not necessarily followed. Yeah. And get this, Beyonce is being blamed for having a part to play in high Swedish inflation. Uh, So the country's inflation fell below 10% in May, but that was still higher than expected. And Sweden's chief economist has taken to social media saying that he thinks it's because her world tour probably accounted for around 0.3 percentage points being added to inflation due to hotels and restaurant prices. That's a pretty wild claim, Jan. My God, I hope she doesn't come here. We've got massive issues with inflation. We're trying to, we don't we're trying to bring them down. Stay away, Beyonce. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thinking is that tens of thousands of people have flocked to Stockholm basically to try and catch the two concerts that were kicking off her solo tour. This is her first solo tour in seven years. So a lot of them had come in from overseas um, and they were sort of taking advantage of the very, or the weaker Swedish currency anyway. And why wouldn't you? I don't think anyone was really putting the words Beyonce and inflation in the same sentence when they booked (laughs) hotels. But gosh, if it's that easy to have a, an inflationary impact in Sweden, my goodness, as you say, let's hope it's not so easy here. Indeed. All right. Thanks, Kat. Up next, we're chatting drag story time and why it's been riling so many people up. When Frog Hudson was asked to show up to a local Melbourne library to read books to children, he didn't expect the event to be cancelled out of safety concerns. But that's what happened. Frock, as you might have guessed from the name, is a drag queen. And the event that he was taking part in was drag story time. Now, the council running the event had copped dozens of phone calls from protesters arguing that drag queens around kids is inappropriate. Frock, whose real name is Dean Akuri, begs to differ. He joins us now. Frock Hudson, thank you so much for joining us on the briefing today. You look frocking fantastic <laughs> with your big purple hair. I'm all frocked up. I'm all ready to roll. I've got a beautiful face painted for, you know, podcasting and radio. <laughs> yeah, you've got a face for radio. That's, that's a good way to start. Exactly. Hey, tell us a little bit about uh, Drag Story Time. What is it exactly? Uh, it's it's exactly what's written on the box. Like it's a drag entertainer reading storybooks just like kids already experience during story times. Story times have been happening in libraries and spaces for years. And uh, Drag Story Time, in fact, here in Australia has been happening for over a decade. So it's really funny to see all the crap that's going on right now, but it's that exactly what's written there. Sometimes it's singing the kids' songs like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or If You're Happy and You Know It, Clap Your Hands, and just reading the books that the kids are already experiencing and reading in their story times already. Just like when different members of the community or different people from multicultural faiths come and read at story times as well. So you've done a number of these. What What's involved when, when you show up to a library or to a location to read books to kids? Talk us through how it plays out. How it plays out or how it's planned. See, the planning is you get 
get the booking and then we talk about what books have we got in the library, what ones do we think will be good for the story time, and then I basically get the kid on, rock up, the kids get very excited, we sit down, all get them settled, because obviously when they've got, you know, a colourful character in front of them, the kids can get very excited, and we just get them settled, do a song to get them in the mood, and we follow the exact same program that they have with their regular story times. You know, we read the story and they get to ask questions about it or share in the story as well, or sometimes the kids even pick what story they want us to read. So what's the importance of drag story time? Like, why have it at all? Look, I think it's a great opportunity to show diversity and to show inclusion. It's been really interesting to see how drag is perceived within the media or within social media, where all of this is being played out at the moment with the current drama that's going on. But Mm. the reason why, really simply, is because it's fun. You know, for kids, it's a great experience to have someone else reading a story to them. It's a great chance to dress up in colourful colours, and the kids get to do that as well. The number of times kids knowing that a drag performer is going to be at their story time will add an extra tutu or wear, you know, an Elsa outfit or anything like that. It's just a chance to dress up and to be read a story by a colourful character, which is a whole heap of fun. Mm. You mentioned that drag story time is something that's been happening for over a decade. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, here in Australia. I mean, I I didn't know that. Recently, though, it's um, starting to, I guess, uh, we're starting to see a number of people protested or it's, it's, you know, it's ended up on the front pages of papers and in the news, right? Mm. When did you start getting a sense that people were not happy about what was going on? Oh, the current climate is one thing. The very first time, I think it's something really interesting to look at here is like I've said for over a decade, Drag story time has been happening in libraries here within Australia. I've been doing it for seven years. The first time I started noticing it was three years ago. And what I think is very interesting about it, this is the first time any kind of hate was directed at me for doing any kind of rainbow or drag story time. But I think it's important to note the way in which that happened. It was when Lyle Shelton wrote a blog article that's still sitting on his website right now saying, I'm one of four drag queens to not trust around your children. And Lyle took pictures of me, a couple of pictures from my social media or burlesque performances that I had done and said, this is a person you should keep away from children. That was the first time I got any kind of issue or complaint, whether online or in person, in regard to it. And in that specific scenario, it was targeting a story time I was doing in Bendigo. I live in Melbourne, but I like to be able to do story times or events outside of the city as much as possible, because I know how important it is for regional people to see diversity and inclusion. And it's also a heap of fun. Plus, I Mm. love the drive. Uh, But that was the very first time I got any of it. At that time in Bendigo, the library didn't know how to deal with it. And they had to shut down the story time because they got a lot of online harassment from people. Keeping in mind, this is a person who at the time was the head of the ACL. Which is the Australian Christian Lobby, in case anyone doesn't know, yep. And they got a lot of hate from people outside of Victoria. So it was a very interesting approach. Then every single year around Ida Hobbit, uh, that article will show up again. And there's been a little bit more people going, oh, but pretty much nothing. Like, The first time I had anyone show up in person and say, I don't think this was okay, was actually last year at a story time I did in Eltham. And I asked them why. And they went, I just don't think kids should be seeing this. And I was like, I was in full drag. It's important to me to rock up to an event in full drag because then people can see what's coming. And my drag specifically, I like to look like a mascot, like at a sports game. It's big and it's ridiculous and stupid. I like to feel like a clown. And 
this person was just like, I just don't think it's okay. And they were an older gentleman. And I went, look, that's completely fine. If you want, though, you could come and have a look at what it is because I asked them what it was and they spoke to me about how it's teaching kids about sex and all of that stuff. And I'm like, nah, mate, it's just reading a book. And if you want to come and have a look at it, you're welcome to. The only deal I made with him is you cannot disrupt it for the kids. If you're not okay, go to the staff at the library and say, I have a problem with this. But, and this is a really important part of it, coming in and disrupting the experience for the children. Kids don't understand these lofty statements about sex and gender and sexuality that these people are bringing into what is essentially reading through a story. Right. This person came, watched it and went, yeah, cool. This year, right now, in the past two months, is the very first time I've experienced a level of online harassment and hate and protesting that I've never experienced before. So it's uh, the reason why I bring up the 10 years, the seven years, the three years, and then last year is because it's nothing like what exists at the moment. And it's important to realise this has not been a slow boulder that's building. There's something that's happened right now in the past six months that has changed the way in which people are protesting and championing what they think is incorrect. And it's pretty gross. So what's happened? It's definitely a narrative that's coming from other countries, whether that be specific people in the UK or more specifically America. And I say that really specifically because I've received the online hate. The wording that they're using, the language that they're using is exactly the same language that you are seeing overseas. To give you a little bit of an example, when an Australian book was banned in a library in America, one book in a library in America in one state That same week, a senator here in Queensland decided to say this is a book that should be banned in Australia. The book had been around for quite a while, but they're taking their influences from something that's happening in another country instead of looking at the lay of the land of what's going on here. And I find it really interesting when they're using links and things that they're abusing me with and saying, this is what you're doing to kids, and actually then using information from other parts of the world that Information is the wrong word. It's actually misinformation to try and channel a narrative like reading a book to children is wrong. Like, what are they scared of? Literacy? Mm. You mentioned that when you first had to deal with the hate three years ago, the councils didn't quite know how to deal with it. Do you think that they're in a better position to deal with it now? Or do you think this is a whole new thing and a whole new challenge for them? Look, some are and some aren't. I am a silver lining type of person. Uh, So within this craziness, I think the good thing that we're seeing is we're able to figure out how there are weaker links in the chains of what's going on. Councils are doing a lot of different work in creating inclusive and diverse spaces for many different people because they understand the importance of it. What I think is going on right now is a very specific approach to targeting. And I can only speak to my experience and the experience I've seen that's been played out to events that I have been a part of or have had cancelled in the past two months. It's a post that goes up. And by the way, there are people who are literally in the Telegram groups that all these people chat in and share information. So I know when I'm about to get hit or targeted in a certain way. When you say you cop a lot of hate, what sort of things are you copying? Well, it's a lot. I've received email death threats. I've had pictures of me circulated around the internet saying that I'm a trans because I have my sideburns. I love my sideburns. I've got a big nose. Uh, As a man, it's a, you know, I don't want to get rid of them. It makes my nose look big. So in drag, I keep my sideburns. I've had pictures of me circulated uh, to try and create misinformation about trans people. I've received religious Bible scriptures, both in online posts and in personal communications. And I've had pictures of me with my nieces and nephews shared on the internet saying that I'm a pedophile and I'm touching these children. So it's been pretty disgusting. Right. 
And so what's the way forward here? Like whose responsibility is it to tackle this? Is it the communities? Is it governments? Is it the local councils? Why pick just one? Let's go with the whole piece of the pie. It's everyone. Everyone has a role to play here. I want to stress people are allowed to not be okay with drag story time. People are allowed to not be okay with drag performers. The problem with what's going on now is that people are actually targeting and harassing online individuals with misinformation and false information. And I stress in these groups where they're sharing information, my personal details were shared. Pictures of me in and out of drag were shared. I've had my social media mined and shared online. As an entertainer working within the LGBTIQA plus communities of Australia, I'm very proud of what I do. And it's taken a lot to build that up because as a young person, you're taught to hide your sexuality and not do things. But when I talk about who's responsible, it's everyone. We all have a role to play. They're allowed to not be okay with it, but it's the way in which they're going about it that's really the problem. Through harassment, through bullying, through calling libraries or venues or councils that are doing things and targeting them. The Altham Library, where I had one event get cancelled and we had to do it outside the library on the day, which many, like 50 people came and were a part of, which was absolutely wonderful to watch. They received 100, I believe it was 173 phone calls in an hour, but only from 30 numbers. These aren't people with complaints. This is targeted bullying and harassment, and that needs to be called out. So there's stuff, at least here in Victoria, that we can do in relation to vilification laws, but everyone has a role to play. That was Frock Hudson, the drag queen, Dean Akuri, the man, I guess you can say. And one thing that a number of LGBTQI performers have taken to doing is rallying a group of people around them in case events get cancelled so that the events still happen, but they don't necessarily happen within the councils or the libraries themselves, but maybe in a public space nearby where protesters can still protest, but there's a sort of shield of protection around the events, I guess, and that's a way that they can go ahead without the councils or without the libraries necessarily hosting them. It seems sort of unfortunate that that has to happen at all, if I'm being honest, but at least if that's an event that you want to go to, there's still scope. Well, that is it for our Monday to Friday show. But on Saturday, as you know, the weekend briefing is coming to you with Jamila Rizvi. Jam, who have we got this week? Hello, team. How are you this morning? I have got such a delicious chat for you this weekend. I had a conversation with Montaigne, who is, of course, the ARIA award-winning artist who has twice represented our fair country at Eurovision and also just recently was the subject of uh, this year's award-winning Archibald Prize artwork. They are such a fascinating individual. I'm going to make myself sound a thousand years old, everyone, but I'm not sure I've ever met someone who seemed to have such strength of character and sense of self when they were so young and and it sounds like from chatting to Montaigne this is something they've had since they were they were a teenager I found them totally engaging and engrossing I was hanging off every word and their beliefs and their ideas about fame and being a pop star and fandom really made me reflect a whole lot on think and see the world of of pop music a, a little differently Oh, looking forward to that chat. I've met Montaigne and, yeah, 
there's a very strong sense of self that they have. A really, really lovely person. So looking forward to that chat. Well, that is it from us. A massive thank you to all of the folks that work behind the scenes on this podcast. Ellie Harrison Dengate, our senior producer, Helen Smith, our producer, Chris Marsh, who is doing all of the back end, Poppy Manzi, who is on socials. If there's anyone else I have missed, I'm so sorry. I love you. Catch you guys next week. Bye. Listener.